This is the Master Plan. I am Alex Mademochoritis. Have you ever been present for that magic moment when all the streetlights in your city turn on at the same time? When I was a young kid, I used to picture a person, a nightlight conductor, sitting in a room looking at their wristwatch, and when the time struck 7, they would flip a big switch turning on all of the city lights. Now I'm older and I know that neither this person nor this big nightlight switch exists and that this magic moment happens thanks to a preset automated system. In fact, cities today that are filled with sensors, cables and digital networks rely on thousands of software running in parallel giving their citizens reliable and functioning automated systems, just like the nightlights. They control our traffic, streetlights, underground metro systems, telecommunication antennas, Wi-Fi routers, energy and water distribution, weather monitoring, you name it. Only a handful of urban infrastructure operates on gears and cogs, and the rest is digital. Fundamentally, this means that a smart city is a hackable city, a reality that needs to be addressed as we embellish our cities with more and more digital infrastructure. So whether we want to think about it or not, cities and their citizens today are more vulnerable and exposed than ever to digital threats. Urban technologists Julia McGee and Kriti Nirmal have taken a deep dive into the fundamentals of cybercrime in cities, and through this discussion we will talk about what can be done to avoid them and how we can improve the security of smart cities. So cybercrime can be thought of as the evolution of digital crime. So when we didn't have the advanced technology that we have today, what would be considered digital crime is calling someone over a telephone, pretending to be a bank or pretending to be someone else who needed your credit card information or something like that. And this has evolved into cybercrime with the advanced technology that we have today. So this, what we would call current cybercrime really started in the early 2000s with the rise of the internet and social media uh, being accessible to the, to being accessible at the individual level. So with this influx of data also came a rise in identity theft. And because of all the influx of data that people are putting into essentially what is a huge online database. So then hackers can use the information to reach bank accounts, set up credit cards and commit other forms of financial fraud. So now today with advanced technology, these cyber crimes are completely grown out of proportion and touching every single different aspect of the digital world. So particularly with the rise of smart cities and technology that we're witnessing in everyday life, the associated security vulnerabilities also grow with this. So cities being centers of resources and infrastructure, they are particularly attractive targets for cybercrime. And with the shift towards smart cities that we're seeing, it's crucial that cities embrace new mindset and strategies to tackle these security issues. Just, I can give a first example of what, an example of what cybercrime would look like in an urban context. So for example, this happened in the city of Dallas in the United States, where hackers were able to take control over like about 150 sirens in the city. And this triggered false alarms on the system that was used to alert residents to take shelter from inclement weather. And this happened over the course of a weekend. So there was a period in which many citizens in the city were very confused of what was going on. There was a lot of disorientation. It caused some panic. 
So this is just one example of how someone hacking city infrastructure has extremely negative, I guess, after effects for the citizens of the city itself. So a, a main takeaway from this as well is since this was done over the, this was done to the sirens. So these radio signals and frequencies that are smaller invisible aspects of the city, which are more typically ignored and not monitored, is more easy for someone to hack them. And again, this causes panic and confusion for the residents of the city itself. Out of this story, a search is underway for a hacker who caused panic and confusion in Dallas by triggering all of the city's emergency sirens at the same time. The system was hacked just before midnight Friday. All 156 sirens in Dallas blared intermittently for more than an hour and a half. The 911 center was flooded with more than 4,400 calls from concerned residents. The sirens are intended to warn people of incoming severe weather. City officials said the hack originated in the Dallas area, and they are working with the Federal Communications Commission to look for a suspect. CBS News contributor Nicholas Thompson is editor-in-chief of Wired. Nick, good morning. Good morning, Nora. How could something like this happen? Wow. <laughs> so imagine being in that scenario. That would, that would freak me out. Absolutely. It was, it was intense. I mean, um, there were a few testimonials about uh, the residents saying that they were in total panic because it was 12, it was midnight. People were either out or in bed and they were rushing out of the balconies to see what exactly is happening. So. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, if you don't know any better, I assume you think there's a bomb coming or something. Mm -hmm. Complete panic, right? An alien invasion or Absolutely. some sort. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I get it. I mean, it's a very important topic and I, I really see your point. Uh, with the rise of smart cities, uh, we're more, more vulnerable than ever, especially with all the sensors and all the technology that is embedded in our infrastructure. Um, so, what constitutes a cyber attack fundamentally? So a cyber attack, when it's brought down to its core, can be thought of as something as simple as a data breach. And a data breach, just by definition, is when data is stolen. So this occurs normally because the data itself has value. Someone would want access to it so that I, they can either use it themselves or they can sell it. So the most common form of data breach is with personally identifiable information, such as names, credit card numbers, maybe your NIA number, password, email address, whatever, something associated to specifically you. Uh, this is the most common form of data breach and happening at the individual level. So there's, with the uptick of this, there has been some infrastructure and policy put in place. For example, recently, European, the European Union, they rewrote the privacy laws, and now every time you go to a new browser, you have to click allow cookies, allow, allow cookies, the allow cookies. The infamous GDPR. Exactly, yes. So it has an extremely extensive set of guideline, uh, guidelines. And so if any of the data that is stolen is um, has personally identifiable information, then it is subject to these laws. But even strict data laws like this, it doesn't deter a hacker necessarily. It just makes the laws a little bit more strict. So the technology behind a cyber attack is so complicated that it's never completely foolproof. 
just as a password to an account is never completely foolproof as well. The way I understand it is if there's a door and it has a lock, there's a key. Exactly. There's, I mean, and somebody can find or manufacture mm -hmm. that key, regardless of how complicated the lock is. And maybe the key is under a rock and it accesses the back door, but exactly. there's still a key. There's always a key. Nothing is unhackable. Absolutely. And each key has a copy, which anyone can actually access. So mm. it's like you can make multiple copies and keep adding locks. Doesn't make sense. So what, what are the risks? What does this look like in real life? If we want to talk about a cyber attack in an urban context, then this could be as simple as someone hacking into any sort of network that the city needs to function. This could be something from a government website to a hospital to the entire transportation system. It could be video surveillance because anything with an IP address can be considered valuable to a hacker. An IP address is? It's, you can think of your IP address as your online address, which just has the information of your device and your location at that time. So it's not something that's meant to be private. It's, I think maybe there's a bit of a misconception. If someone has your IP address, then they can immediately access all of your information, but that isn't the case. Your IP address is simply the tool that they need in order to send you malware or ransomware in order to access your information. What is ransomware? It's essentially a virus sent to your computer and it can get onto your computer in various ways. So the most common form of having ransomware on your computer is through phishing. So P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. I've heard of this phishing. It's not phishing, exactly yeah. the same thing I used to do with my dad. Not exactly, no. Bit, bit more high risk. <laughs> Tell us more about it then. So phishing is, it's very simple. Phishing is just the practice of sending fake emails, fake notifications, fake messages, pretending to be from a company or a contact, something that the target is likely to not suspect and then click on the link necessarily. So the goal from this is to try and get them to reveal their personal identifiable information, like their credit card numbers or their passwords. I see. So when I receive these emails, they're saying my lawsuit is now being, uh, uh, you say, processed. Let's contact your lawyer exactly, and give yes. all the information. I guess that's phishing, mm -hmm. right? Or someone from a contact saying, I'm in an emergency and I need a great sum of money. Please wire it to me immediately. These is it, phishing attacks. Is it me? Is it my impression? Or are elderly people more likely to be targeted? 100%. Yes, this is true. So... There's no doubt about that the vulnerable population, either people who are not educated with technology and particularly the elder generation, they are at more high risk for phishing attacks. And what's interesting is this, there was a significant proportion of the population which received a large amount of phishing attacks uh, about COVID. So in the UK, there were reports of um, like the elderly population receiving emails saying you can get a COVID vaccine immediately if you send us your information, if, you, if we receive this amount of money. And so it's the vulnerable population, the people that they know are more likely to click these links are 100% more targeted. Damn. And I mean, I have to say, it's, it's, not, 
it's not a shame to to fall into into these traps. Everybody can actually, everybody's vulnerable to to fall into uh, to, to you know believe the lie, because some of them are so sophisticated and so well constructed that it's very difficult to identify whether it's phishing or whether it's clickbait or whether it's true or not. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So there has been incidences wherein the hacker is asked to basically develop a story. And uh, the podcast, which I was listening from Dr. Phil, had invited an ex-hacker who now is an ethical hacker, explained that how it is very easy to sell a story. And the example was mind-blowing because it was like an email written by some ex, some boss, XYZ, saying that, oh, I'm in a meeting and you have to wire uh, immediately to this person. And this is the detail of the account to the secretary. The secretary was like, okay, he's in a meeting. I'm not supposed to disturb him. And he, and she did it. And eventually it was a clickbait email. Oh, wow. And that's how phishing occurs. You know, it's wow. like you have to sell the story and make it plausible, make it believable in order to just get into anyone's system, get money, get data. It's, it's all about putting it out there and showing that, oh, you are real, but you have a mask. So how does this occur? I mean, I understand this is on an individual level. Uh, if we were to translate these attacks on the city scale, the urban scale, what do they look like? So, so phishing can occur at the company level, at the city level too. But what's really interesting about phishing is that the entry point usually to like a company or a city is through an individual. Oh. So for example, if I fall victim to a phishing attack on my work laptop that is connected to the corporate network, then potentially that malware can, through my individual clicking of the phishing, then that can get translated to the entire corporate network. That's so interesting. So speaking of doors, I'm the door. Mm -hmm. um, You're all the doors. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because I remember I used to work at a bank and the training that you undergo in the, the first few days, there's training about, okay, privacy with the clients, et cetera, et cetera. But there's also training on how to recognize a phishing attack because companies are already starting to recognize the risk and invest in educating their employees on this because, well, there's no other alternative. These phishing attacks aren't going away. So they, there's a need to educate everyone on proper online etiquette, you can say. What are they usually after? I mean, we, as, so we, we understood that uh, usually the targets are individuals and from uh, once attacked, then it's basically uh, an open highway to different scales, right? Either it's a company scale or a city scale. Uh, but thinking of, let's say, the attack that we discussed in the beginning of the sirens, what were these people looking for? What were they after? Why would someone do this? So there are various motives of why a hacker would uh, create such situations or hack into your PC, laptop, system, house, company. So especially talking about the case of the siren that we heard, um, they still haven't found the exact motive, but um, the experts say that it was maybe some kid who was having fun because, yeah, there have been similar examples as well. I would like to share one is happened in the Atlanta city on the highway where there were temporary boards which are not actually cared for because they're just there because there's either work going on. So they just have a sign that, oh, work in progress or 
you know, maybe just like uh, be aware of the slippery road kind of like that. And one kid or one hacker actually hacked that temporary sign and wrote poop on it. <laughs> so it's 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 fun for some people but usually it's even more um dangerous as one can think about because once the hacker has uh, all the data can actually be sold on the dark web with your ip address uh with all the data the information which is collected or maybe it is traded for some amount of money like nowadays um, there is a thing of okay i have all your data your system is hacked now you have to pay me uh, 100 bitcoins as a a value in exchange for me to keep your data safe or in exchange of me to give you the encryption key which can unlock your data so that is one of the motives the other motives could actually be like okay uh, there's something which is called a surveillance hacking or insider hacking when they don't really want to do anything with your data but just want to understand how your system works how your how your corporate works how your city works so they just want to have a look at it so this can have a lot of political motives as well so it's like it can range from a personal motive of just gaining some extra money to going into a wide range of political motives as well so yeah the motive is upon the hacker and what's interesting is that often the motive of the hackers remains unknown after a cyber attack because most commonly the cyber attack is solved by either the ransom being paid or somehow the target manages to get control of the system again so cyber security experts almost never recommend actually paying the ransom because there's no guarantee that you're going to get your data back anyway and so uh but normally what happens is a third party company has to come in a cyber security firm and essentially take all of your data back which can be extremely expensive as well but the format of this means that often the hacker remains anonymous so the motive remains anonymous if you just receive a message that says i need this much money in this account by this time there's no you don't really know the motive behind it i guess there's also the famous principle of we don't negotiate with criminals exactly. right yeah. so you have to bring in a third party to actually take everything back i'd rather give the money to the third party that is here to save the situation and then you know concede to the to the criminals motives and even it, even if they stay dark right exactly yes so how does a cyber attack work right so we discussed about ransomware we discussed phishing and malware uh, are there any examples uh, that you want to discuss Absolutely so since we discussed about ransomware and uh, data breach and everything I would like to talk about the attack which actually happened on the transportation system in San Francisco and like I said and uh, previously mentioned the motives of the hacker the motives of the hacker here was to actually extort money from the government so initially like it started was that okay a clickbait and probably some employee was not that educated upon clickbaits or was not aware about it would have entered and would have clicked on something which led to um, over 
hundred PCs being hacked at one time. And it was basically a software which just got stuck to their system. And then it was almost uh, impossible to get that out. And then they got an email saying that, okay, we demand a thousand Bitcoin. We demand that and you have to give it to us or else we take your data and we sell it to the dark web. And we have all the data of the employees who work in the, um, in the office. I have, they say that we have the data of all of the uh, plans that the city council or uh, the transportation has, the schedules of the transportation buses, the um, information of the passengers. And another thing that they did was they messed up with the fare system. So the subway was free for one whole day for the passengers. Oh my God. Yes. So <laughs> since it was free, the, the subway trains and the transportation system all over the city was flooded because there were a lot of people. It's since it's free, it's like, Oh, it's a joy ride. But later when people actually found out what was actually happening, the transportation systems were deserted because they were all paranoid of what if we travel and the subway and something goes something wrong happens. with exactly yeah, yeah. so that's that that was the confusion and um the stress which the the citizens were into after learning that something like that has happened so this was how it all went down and um it was it was really very interesting when I was listening to a podcast by called Security Now by Steve Gibson, and he was talking about this particular case and he gave an insight wherein the hackers had sent an email to the officials saying that hackers have said that okay your system network was very open and two thousand server PCs are infected by the software. They are actually telling them that your system was open and we could just get in like smooth as butter. They're they're showing off. Exactly. Wow. Like this this really paints a a very interesting picture of these hackers, like people who just want to bring in chaos for the sake of doing it. This is <laughs> well uh well, I guess this is the scariest kind of criminals, right? The ones that have the randomest of motives. There's YouTube videos on how to hack into traffic lights. Yes. This is, wow. Yes, yes, yes. And it's like, when, when you were like looking into things, they were like, okay, you can not only hack the transportation system, you can hack the traffic lights. Okay, if you are going and there is a huge uh, red light, which you don't want to wait for, you can hack your uh, nearest uh, traffic light in your neighborhood and can get a green signal. So that's that's what people are actually being teaching on YouTube if you just go right now and you see. But you know what it is though? Like, I, I honestly think that hacking is not necessarily a bad practice. It does have a bad connotation uh, because of all these practices. But if you really think about it, citizens are natural hackers. And I'm not just talking about algorithms and sensors and, uh, uh, you know, machines and technology. Even if, let's say, think of... Um, Think of the street and uh, the mobility system that you set up. It's highly likely that pedestrians are just going to take different paths. In a way, they're hacking the system that you designed just because they found a way, a different way to do things. And I think this is a natural tendency. We always have to leave some sort of a wiggle room in our when we design different technologies for these things to happen. It's a natural tendency of, of people. I agree completely. Yeah. So, so how can we actually start doing this? 
implementing, let's say, this flexibility in our technologies? Well, you can implement flexibility in your technologies. You can um, make space for people to uh, adjust according to their needs. But then it's, it gets, just gets very scarier when those needs are full of maybe greed or they take a dark turn, like in case of these hackers, because you can leave as much as open space for the people to use. But as soon as that open space um, starts getting um, maybe illegally taken or maybe, uh, I don't know, um, hijacked? Hijacked. Yeah, in a way, it's like... Yeah, and then you don't really have a place which initially was built for the people because they themselves took, and some people with dark motives themselves took that particular space in the city and claimed it theirs. So it's like the the flexibility is for sure important, but also the mindset and um, the thinking of people also needs to be I don't know, we can't say we can alter the, the mindset or the thinking of the people, but we can definitely design something in a way which can guide them to use it in a in a better way, yeah. kind of like that. Yeah. So. It's, I, I still, it still leaves the question. I mean, we've been discussing in this podcast smart cities quite a lot. And as we said in the beginning, this topic is becoming even more important under the context of this smartness that we're discussing, particularly particularly when you're thinking of smart cities uh, being very connected to sensors. Sensors are really, I mean, in principle, they're really important to smart cities. Mm -hmm. Whether they should be or not is a different discussion. Uh, so with this computing infrastructure, including all these Internet of Things sensors, how is this... Uh, topic of cyber attacks, uh, how should it be addressed by municipalities, governments? It's a really interesting question because I feel like it's been quoted a lot throughout this course. I feel like I hear it every day about how 60% of people will be living in cities by 2030. And as we're seeing uh, design and policy that changes to reflect this shift, then we're seeing more investment by cities, by governments, in public infrastructure like transport, traffic monitoring, smart video surveillance. And again, with this investment on one side, on the other side, then there's a lot of risk because of the importance that we place on these structures for smart cities to function. So because of these new sensors, the temperature, the water, then what happens when this is attacked necessarily. So it could be held ransom if, this, if the criminal takes control of the IoT infrastructure. And then like we saw in the example of San Francisco, then the entire system just seems to fall apart. And we're seeing an increase in these type of IoT attacks. So in 2021, the first six months alone, attacks on the IoT grew by 100%. So people are recognizing the potential that this data has and they're trying to take advantage of it. So we're already seeing it with these attacks on the transportation system and other public infrastructure that smart cities need. So one thing that we can learn from this is that when a city is adopting this smart infrastructure, when it's being put in place, security needs to come along with it. It can't be something that's added after the fact. It's crucial that these two grow, that they grow concurrently together. I, I'm thinking also that this one of the safest routes you can take is having a decentralized system of infrastructure. If you centralize all your security gauges into one place, one database, 
then your vulnerability increases a lot. This is also something that we've been discussing, I think, uh, quite thoroughly in the last nine months, right? Uh, how decentralized systems are also uh, a way of uh, removing, let's say, the vulnerability from one place and distributing it uh, to many different uh, nodes in one larger network. Mm-hmm. I, I, naturally, I think that, um, you know, instead of having this one great sensor that is controlling everything in your city, the best thing you can do is actually have multiple sensors that also have a different, um, I'm not sure how to, how to, what's the right wording here? Uh, let's say uh, a different installation in a way. Therefore, they, they, they respond to a different server. So if one server is attacked, not all of them are, are, uh, under, are under attack. Mm-hmm. That's, that's actually a very nice point that you have put across because, um, that's how the hackers actually function because since it is all centralized in most of the cities, it is very easy for them to jump from one particular department to the other, other department. Right. So it's like, okay, since they are already in the transportation system, they can already access their plans of the city. They already know which are the locations of the, let's say, the police stations. They already know what type of criminals are in this because they can t- they can clearly enter into the police records. So like we said that, okay, maybe one attack is just a mask and there is something, uh, a different motive behind it. So in reality, the attack is looking like, okay, the transportation system is hacked, but maybe the, the other their motive could be to maybe erase some criminal records or maybe to access certain type of sensitive information. So while the so it's more like diverting the attention of the city to um, the attack, but while the main work is being carried out in the background. So that's 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 a, exactly the problem which is going around since it's centralized. Is it the case that transportation systems are often targeted the most in urban contexts? Yes, actually, the reason why transportation systems are uh, attacked the most that we, we we saw in the examples also below, before is because that the criminals want to uh, attack something which has an immediate impact on the city. So the moment they attack the transportation system, they know that it's a very crucial and a critical service for the system to or the city to operate. So the moment it goes down, they know that um, there is going to be chaos in the city people will have not have access to the the transport they will get led to whatever destinations they are going so the city will act quickly and that's a way for them to extract money on a quick basis because hacking is all about creating the pressure for just one particular moment it's like since since these attacks are only for let's say two or three days maximum it doesn't extend more than that because then the pressure just keeps on going down because either you are ready to pay the ransom or you are ready to retrieve a system back so just for the moment of two to three days they try to create the panic and try to try to put a lot of stress and strain on the officials and i think also what's interesting in this case is that cities are seen sort of or city infrastructure is seen as soft targets because of the critical services that they provide and also because a city maybe lacks the resources to build the sophisticated cybersecurity operations like large private companies do, and this makes them a weaker target. And again, because they're more inter- interconnected than other organizations, once you're in, it's easier to get to the other places as well. So th- this brings us, I think, to, to I guess, uh, another important topic, which is 
where the city is lacking and how it can be improved. Mm-hmm. So usually what you see is that these attacks happen in different cities all over the world and they are similar kind of attacks. So one uh, aspect that the cities I mean, I would really put cities here are lacking is that sharing information and sharing uh, of what exactly and how, what the steps that they take, they, they took to actually retrieve the transportation system back or X, Y, Z, whatever, whatever was attacked back. Because they are not really sharing the information is when it is creating that the hackers have the opportunity to again, uh, do the same thing in a different city. So that is one thing which which the city should actually do. What's really interesting in regards to this point is because there's the current lack of information sharing that's going on, it's because by sharing this information, maybe you make yourself more vulnerable to the hackers as well. If you say, this is exactly how we got it back, suddenly nobody is going to be able to do that again. Right. So it's a very fine line between how do we share all this information to make sure that cities are not cut off from one another and their mistakes are learned from these cyber attacks that actually come to fruition. But at the same time, how do you protect yourself and make yourself as secure as possible? I guess that's also an important way to create a history of mistakes from which we can look back and learn, right? Exactly. Also, there is a very lack of uh, policies or protocols which one needs to take in terms when it comes to these type of attacks. Like we said, that these cyber attacks are really short-lived, so it's a lot of pressure. So under pressure, people tend to panic and take uh, the wrong steps. So there is no certain protocol which is actually set in a way that, okay, if the city infrastructure is under attack, what are the protocols or what are the steps that you need to take in the physical well, of course, they know what protocols which need to be taken, but on the digital level, on the cyber level, there are no certain steps which someone who is under charge of maybe getting the ransom back or something, uh, the, the set of protocols are not really set. And sometimes people underestimate the, the, the degree of attack, uh, which is, which is done. So they might take it super casually, but it, it is something which is really, really important. So also understanding the degree of attack, uh, maybe alarm system, sure, was panic, but taking the transportation system is a different story altogether. So understanding the, the impact really, really matters. So Being able to simulate it, I, I guess, would also be important, right? And in today's day and age, cre- simulations, they can uh, really be, let's say, a very uh, efficient and effective predictive tool. I'm thinking now of digital twins, right? How we can actually have these copies of cities. I assume that with the advent of digital twins, it's now possible to also simulate these cyber attacks. Is that correct? Yeah, I think with most things, there's positive and negative things when it comes to the concept of digital twins. Yeah, because like uh, a digital twin is, is is something wherein you feed all the information of the city. And like we were already saying, if all the information is in one place, it is very easy for an attacker to actually attack it. So what if we try to maybe predict certain cyber crimes which are actually going to happen on the city uh, in the real uh, time, but what if the whole digital twin actually is under attack and then most of the information of the city which was probably not accessible to the hacker or would be difficult to actually 
you know access it is right there so the attacker or the hacker just has to play with his laptop with a black hood so but i guess this paints a picture of how not to build a digital <laughs> twin though if you build a digital twin make sure that you don't literally replicate all the valuable information of the citizens and of the city infrastructure on the twin right but this also <laughs> brings us back to the topic of um decentralization as well right. because if you're going to essentially build something like a digital twin and have all of this information on it it's essentially a basket tied up with a neat little bow oof of course yeah ready to be hacked ready to be open because just... once you have that then there's a ton of valuable information that comes with that of course of course so what's the conclusion here what's the main outtake the main takeaway i think talking about cybercrime in an urban context is recognizing that as we see a shift toward smart cities being built and smart infrastructure and investment in IoT infrastructure the it's absolutely essential that security grows along with this safety these two have to grow at the same time because i stated earlier that security is not something that can be implemented after the fact it needs to be addressed now because smart cities can't exist if they're not safe absolutely and what i really think is that a smart city is not secure without a smart citizen so people need to be actually educated about what are the threats what how can you actually personally secure your own appliances your own equipments in order to not be uh, affected or by the grid when the grid is actually attacked so yeah i, I really believe in uh, everybody should you know be made aware about the the possible threats which you can fall under uh, because of all these attacks so yeah a smart city definitely needs a smart city it becomes a cube it's smart city smart citizen safe city safe citizen and the four are all interconnected and they have to be in order for a smart city to succeed The Master Plan is a project of IAX Master Incident Technology, a program that is redefining the analysis, planning, and design of cities around the world. The show is produced at the Institute for Advanced Architecture of Catalonia, located in sunny, ever so beautiful Barcelona.